as we get settled here, let's get our Bibles open to Acts chapter 11. And we'll be starting in verse 19 tonight. But by way of reminder, um, we're coming out of a, an important section in chapter 10 all the way through mid of chapter 11. Uh, just really where there's a shift in the flow of the book of Acts. The gospel is advancing and uh, we, see, we, see, uh, the, we see Peter taking center stage again. And he'll be in, in it again in the book of Acts for a little bit longer. But, but again, we see him shifting because now the gospel is crossing the final barrier, right? First it was to the Jews in Jerusalem, devout Jews. Then it was Hellenistic Jews who got the gospel. Then it was the hated Samaritans. Then it was that Ethiopian eunuch... And then we had Paul get converted, and that was a big shift. And then we saw, again, the final stage was the gospel going to the Gentiles. And we had, again, just a reminder that God had to prepare both the Gentiles. Cornelius had to give him a vision. And then we had, uh, we had Peter having to have a vision and, and God intervening at certain points to keep pushing them forward in, into this final meeting. And then... After we, there's clear evidence of the Gentiles being brought in, who are, who are being saved without anything to do with the Mosaic law, then the, the, the people back at Jerusalem had to be convinced. And so that's what we saw. We saw that finally in verse 18 of chapter 11, the, the remarkable sta uh, statement of the, of the men and women there at, at Jerusalem who heard the report that Peter gave. And they said this, when they heard these things, they fell silent because there was a group of them who had been criticizing, saying, what's going on here, Peter? But they fell silent at this point after hearing the report. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. What a statement. What a, a historic statement to, to hear the Jews say that about the Gentiles, to see that the change that's happening, that's being brought about by the gospel advance. So um, that's, and that's where we're at now. Now we're going to be shifting scenes and something else is going to be happening here tonight as we uh, get back into chapter 11 and see what's going to happen here. But let me pray uh, before we start and get us ready to hear God's words. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for, say this every time, but Lord, it's such a good thing on Sunday mornings when we come together as your people and what we enjoyed this morning here at Bethany, uh, to see our friends and to, to come together to sing your praises, to, to pray together, to hear your word proclaimed. God, it's good for our hearts. It's so refreshing and it, it strengthens us, but God, we get to know you better. We, we, we want to glorify you better. So, Lord, I thank you for what we enjoyed already this morning, and I thank you that we're ending up this day, the first day of the week, the day that kicks off the rest of the week. We end it in praise and, again, getting in, in the word together. So, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that you'd help our hearts to, to be receptive, that our ears would hear, that we would want to learn, that we would want to uh, take another step of change. Uh, of knowing you better, but then also obeying and living differently. So Lord, I pray you'd use the book of Acts to continue to uh, enrich our souls, but also to challenge us to see men and women of the past 
who are faithful servants, who were impacted by the gospel, who were transformed and, and who would go out and share and, and talk about this Jesus who is the Lord, who is the, the risen one, the one who will be the judge of the living and dead. And Lord, so I pray that this would impact us today and that we too would take our part in, in this long chain of, his, of faithful men and women through the years to keep proclaiming the gospel, to keep being people on display who are being changed by the gospel. So Lord, may you be glorified tonight. May we just soak in your word and praise your name and go away tonight a little bit more changed, a little bit more in love with you, a little bit more fired up to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So if we'll start in, uh, again, verse 19, and we'll just read to the end of chapter 11. <clears throat> now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews, Okay. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, were, who on com coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Ah, this is great news. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him, to, brought him back to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So here, here we have this, this section. We have the, the gospel going to the Gentiles and Cornelius and his family and friends. And that was by the hand of Peter, and it was there in the land of Israel. But now we're taken to outside the land of Israel. And, and this, we get to see this, this scattering, the scattering that happened under the persecution. That's a great word. That word is, it comes from the word diaspora. It means to scatter like seeds. And so I kind of use that for the theme tonight to talk about a harvest because of these seeds. And it's, it's great imagery for how the gospel goes out, but it's at the purposeful hand of the sower of the seeds, the God. And so we see that, that the gospel is going out. It can't be contained, right? It's not gonna be limited to the land of Israel. So in the first part, when we look at verses 19 through 21, we see that there's a gospel harvest happening. In God, we see his sovereign use of persecution, not to kill the church, but rather to grow the church and to spread it outside the land. 
And so just, a, just wonderful news. And, and, it's, and it's exciting because of what we would think as human beings that, oh, persecution and opposition, it's going to kill it. But the exact opposite happens. And that, that should just, just give us so much confidence in what God can and does do. So first of all, we see the seeding of the gospel, the spreading, the sowing of the gospel. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, which is on the coast above Israel, and Cyprus, an island 100 miles off the coast, and Antioch, which is much further north, but also near the coast of Israel, above uh, in current Lebanon at the northern end. And this, this idea of scattering, this idea first came in chapter 5, verse 37, when Peter and John were on trial, and they're before the Sanhedrin, and they're debating, what are we going to do with these two men? And do you remember who stood up and said, hold on, if this is a work of God, we better not oppose it. Gamaliel, good. Well, Gamaliel actually said in verse 37, he said, look, if this is a false thing, the followers, you know, this will die out and the followers will be scattered. Well, then in chapter 8, right, right after the persecution of Stephen, after he gets martyred, it says that there was a scattering that happened. But what happened in the scattering? It says they were preaching as they were scattering. So the exact opposite happened. Again, this idea of scattering, it's the word is diaspora, and it was used in the Septuagint to talk about the dispersion of Jewish commu communities outside of Israel. So we've, we have that concept here that people are hearing, wait, there's a scattering, and it's on purpose. It's purposeful scattering. And, and it's, we see that it's really the idea is that believers are just temporarily residing here. We're, we're being pushed out. And we think of uh, Peter. The book, book of Peter, or the epistle, in 1 Peter says, hey, to the elect exiles in the dispersion. And then he writes, hey, you have a living hope and you're being guarded by God for this inheritance that's guarded for you. And, and think about, he's talking to people who are being forcefully pushed out and, and on the run. But they're elect exiles and they have a living hope because God goes with them because he's pushing them out on purpose. They're on the run for their lives, but they're bringing the gospel to bring life. And so here we see the same thing is that God uses persecution to push out. Because in at chapter 8, it says that the, the people were pushed out except for the apostles out of Jerusalem. But what happened in chapter 8? Philip. They focus on Philip. Philip goes north about 50 miles into Samaria and he starts doing what? Preaching. And guess what happens? The hated Samaritans. These half-breeds, these heretics they respond to the gospel. <laughs> God, God is cheek, takes the gospel and just, it just does the opposite of what would be expected. People who shouldn't, that the Jews would think shouldn't be involved, get it. They hear the gospel and are brought in. So God uses persecution and it's just amazing to see and it should be so, so good for us to hear. I mean, if you look through the years, people have been trying to kill the gospel, to go after Christians, to burn the Bible, get rid of the scriptures. And here we are, how many years later? 2,000 years later. The gospel can't be stopped. The message of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it himself. The gates of what? Hell would not be able to stand the advance of the gospel, the relentless march of God's army of gospel bringers, gospelizers. There's a word for you. But we see that uh, it's just pushing. God's using it. And again, Acts 8, we have who is the main protagonist or antagonist there? 
It was Saul when we got to call no Paul. And he was breathing threats and he was vicious. But then God, he just uses the, he pushes, pushes them out of Jerusalem and those environments to start spreading out. And here we are after the story of Saul's conversion and then Peter bringing the gospel to Cornelius. The, the first words of this chapter, of this section, verse 19, now those who are scattered because of the persecution that arose to Stephen, kind of ties the knot back together. It's bringing the story back in the line. Hey, that happened then, but here's another effect of Peter's or of Stephen's testimony. Remember I said that before, God uses faithful people to advance the gospel. We think of Acts and we think of the apostles, but we got a man like Stephen in his strong, firm stand for the Lord, gracious, full of grace. This man whose face shined like an angel, who's full of grace and truth. And he just loved people and he preached the gospel. And he, before the Sanhedrin, God used him to, to, to get the gospel to Samaria, used his death. Then he used his death to plant the seeds in whose life? Saul's. Saul talks about it several times in his own testimony. He talks about his role at Stephen's martyrdom. And then we also see now that it helps his martyrdom became part of the, the impetus to get, it, get the gospel outside of Israel because that's where they fled. They got out. They went up the coast into Lebanon. Now, what's interesting about Lebanon this is just an interesting side note, is there's a, one of the cities along the coast that's mentioned later in Acts, but it's in the same area, Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were two major uh, cities in the Old Testament. And there was a one important, infamous uh, import from Sidon in the Old Testament. You ever heard of Queen Jezebel? Yeah, the one who imported the worship of Baal into the land. Well, here we get to see the gospel being exported out of Israel into the same territory. Isn't that amazing? God's taking over enemy territory now. We see the gospel going out. God, the God of Israel is, can't be tank, contained. He's going out. The gospel is moving forward. So anyway, so he talks about uh, Phoenicia. That's just what we would call Lebanon today. It's the coast just above Israel. Geographic, you need to know it. Then he talks about Cyprus. It's an island 100 miles out. He, it's mentioned, but who do we know is from Cyprus? Barnabas. Barnabas plays a role in this story, right? And this is part of some dots being connected for us. And then, um, and then the last part is Antioch, where the gospel ends up in this segment. It's been to other places too, but it's focusing in on Antioch because that will be the headquarters for the gospel it, it, you know, getting to the Gentile world for the rest of the book of Acts, all right? But here's what you need to know about Antioch. When it mentions cities, it mentions on a purpose. And Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. They say upwards of 500,000 or even more who they lived there in that city, or yeah, in that city, and it was on an important river. Uh, it was full of idol worship. It was a very much a cosmopolitan city. Uh, again, it was the third largest one. It's a major trade going on through there. Just five miles outside the city were major temples to some of the big Roman gods. So there was a lot of immorality. Matter of fact, it was said that uh, Antioch had influence, immoral influence on other cities. <laughs> it, was, it was that kind of city. But here's the deal. God set up headquarters there for the gospel, Right? People become Christians, and when they become Christians, what do they do? They go out. 
They go out. We see that in Ephesus. When you look at the, the, the cities of Revelations chapter 2 and 3, the first one mentioned is what? Ephesus. But then they go through the list of the churches in the different cities. What's well, on a postal route that goes outside, goes, that leaves Ephesus because the gospel goes out. That's what it does. We see in the constantly, you know, as Paul is going through the, we'll see it as we go through Acts, we'll see that he goes to these cities, and these cities is where he'll, he'll you know, do his evangelism, people become Christians, but then from there, people go out. It's like gateways to the rest of the region. So here we see Antioch being the first major headquarters of the, of the Gentile mission, from there to the rest of the area and to the world. So Antioch, an important city, and he, it, the, the gospel gets up there. And by the way, where's, where's the first headquarters, too, of the first wave of Christianity? Jerusalem. Wait, isn't that where they crucified the Lord? So the antagonistic re- religious leadership, and yet that's where the gospel was set up headquarters. right? From, and it's supposed to. It's the city of the king, and that's where the Messiah will take over. But don't forget... Just because there's opposition doesn't mean the gospel can't advance. The gospel is relentless. God is building his church. He can't be stopped. And that's what we see here. That's the picture of, you're thinking, why would he go to Antioch? Because that's what God does. The gospel can't be stopped. The gospel can't be stopped. So anyway, so we talk about these men. They're, they're being spread out. They're going all over, but they end up at Antioch. And then it says this. That, that they were speaking the word to no one except the Jews. And we see that pattern, right? The gospel, Jesus says, hey, I've come only to the house of Israel. And then after that, it was supposed to go out. But it says Paul's pattern was what? To the Jew first and then to the Greek. So they're speaking. They're doing, that was the pattern before. And, and but that says, but in verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. All right, so Cyprus is the island. Cyrene is the northern part of Libya who are coming to Antioch, they're Hellenistic Jews, they're coming to Antioch and they spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Okay, to the Hellenists. Wait, we, wait are you talking about Hellenistic Jews? Well, no, because look in verse eight, 19, it says, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. Okay, the Jews that were living there. Oh, and by the way, in, in Antioch, a huge contingent. Some say 25 to maybe 75,000 Jews there in Antioch. So he's going to the Jews, and they would be Greek-speaking Jews, Hellenist Jew, Hellenistic Jews. But here, it's not to Hellenistic Jews in verse 20. It is to Greek-speaking non-Jews. And what does that say? The gospel can't be contained. They can't just talk to Jews about the gospel. And, and by the way, what are they, what are they preaching? Are they pre- preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ or Christ the Lord? What does Christ mean? Messiah. That's the Jewish Messiah, right? But to them, to the Gentiles, he's preaching Jesus as Lord, God in the flesh. Right? We see, and we'll see that in, later on in Acts. When Paul preaches to the Athenians, he talks, he's talking to them. He's not going to go out of the Hebrew scriptures. He's talking about creation and the God who created everything. He goes to a different way of explaining the gospel. Still the gospel truths, but here they're preaching the Lord Jesus, Jesus, God in the flesh. And people are responding. They're responding to this message. Again, this, this idea 
that, that the Gentiles would hear and want to be included, want this gospel. It's amazing. Again, it, it, what, was, what was the picture of the Jews of this time, even before, of their attitude about bringing light to the Gentiles? Think of the book of Jonah. They didn't want to. Their attitudes were terrible. But things are changing here. The new covenant's changing things. The, the Messiah has come. Jesus is Lord. He's risen from the dead. He's talking about salvation through him alone for all mankind. They must believe in him and repent. But there's a shift here in how they're bringing the gospel. And I talked about that before. We're teaching evangelism class uh, here. And it's just, it just been a, so fun already to have conversations of people thinking through how to give their testimony and the elements of the gospel. But what's wonderful is to see is how flexible the gospel is. There's not one way to do it. There's elements that need to stay the same. But like I've already shown you. What Peter preached on Pentecost to devout Jews was different than when he preached to Cornelius, a God-fearer who knew the Hebrew scriptures but was a Gentile, versus Paul when he's preaching to biblically illiterate Gentile philosophers and how he approaches them via their, all their different altars. So we just see the gospel. The gospel is flexible. And we see it happening here. The gospel's getting out. It can't be stopped. It's the unstoppable life in the gospel of God. Again, this idea of seeds. When these seeds are planted, they can't be stopped. It's like I have weeds. <laughs> we, we put down all sorts of weed killer in our front yard and our back because we rocked it up because of all the drought. We wanted to cut back on water costs. And we put down, we just shaved the grass. Then we put down all this grass killer and weed killer, put down a, a plastic tarp, and then we put all this rock on it. We don't water it at all. And what's coming up here two years later? Tons of weeds. <laughs> it's such a picture. Not that the gospel is a weed, but the idea that life can't be stopped. <laughs> yeah, that was not heresy there. That was not the intent. But the point is, is that life can't be stopped. <laughs> it's relentless. There we go. And the gospel couldn't be stopped here because the hand of the Lord, it wasn't their effectiveness at evangelism. It's the hand of the Lord was behind this. The hand of the Lord, the, the presence and power of God was with them. And that doesn't just say just a few believed. It says a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So notice believing and turning. Isn't that what Peter said when they said, what should we do? He says, repent and be baptized and later on repent and believe we see this, they're, they're turning, it's just, they're turning to the gospel, the repenting of their sins, they're believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, don't forget how radical this was at that time in history, in, in, in the, the Jews. Remember, these are primarily Jews bringing the gospel, and Gentiles are now converting. And again, the mindset, the mindset back then is that if you were a conquering nation, your gods were stronger. Think about Israel. Were they a conquering nation at that time? They were conquered. They were little, little sliver of land amongst this whole Roman Empire, constantly being crushed by, by the Egyptians in the south, the Greeks in the north, and the Romans come through, the Persians had come through. Again, according to world standards... You know, your gods aren't working. But no, this is the only one where there, this man, Jesus Christ, comes through, proves, claims he's God, proves he's God. How? 
by rising from the dead. That boy, that is the, just the capstone, the risen Jesus Christ. Even talking to the Athenian philosophers in 17, we'll see that it says, and God has appointed a man to judge the living and the dead, and he's given evidence of it, how? By the resurrection from the dead. So this is so important. The gospel is about the life that is in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of, of sins and the resurrection that he has done, and we will join with him. So the hand of the Lord is with them. There's a great number. And then we see the church being cared for. And we see that in verse 22 through 26. So the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. That's the headquarters, right? They're, they're taking care. The gospel's being overseen by the apostles. They're the foundation of the church. And so they, they, they want to make sure that this is taken care of. There's gospel oversight and care. And God provides the leadership necessary. So we see that happening here. And who they send? Barnabas right? The one who is fit for that. He's a well-known Christian in the early church there in Jerusalem. He's, he's one of the Hellenistic Jews because he's from Cyprus. Now he had relatives that Mark, his cousin, his, his mom had a house in Jerusalem. So he has connections, but he's also the perfect man to go up to Antioch as the representative to go see what's happening. The church wants to care for the young church. It's a daughter church because the, the parent church is Jerusalem. But they're going to, they send him up to look and to, and to care for, to find out what's going on here. Is it authentic? And if so, let's make sure we get it established. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. The church cares. They sent him up there. And then he shepherds this young church. Barnabas rejoices at the evidence of God's work. When he came, he saw the grace of God and he was glad. By the way, this was no small trip. 300 miles to us, well, we hop in the car and we're up in the Bay Area, you know, about five hours. <laughs> Back then, that was, that was not the way it was. 300-mile trip from Jerusalem all the way up, that's, what, 20, 30 miles a day at most. That's, that's pushing it. It's, it's a two-week trip probably. But he goes up there to see, to see what's going on, to, to oversee and to care for this church. And what he saw, he saw the clear evidence of God's moving in the grace of salvation. He saw the work and, and, and his reaction, so typical of Barnabas, based on what we've seen of him already, what did it say? He was glad. He rejoiced. Not, oh, well, we got to really be careful with these Gentiles we got to make sure that, no, he rejoiced at the clear evidence. Isn't that a wonderful picture? I mean, again, I said this last week. When I've been to different churches outside the United States, even if I can't speak the language, I've been to many times to Mexico and Central America. I speak Spanish somewhat. It's just a wonderful to be able to communicate, but there's a bond. But I've been to other nations where I don't speak one lick of the language, but still there's that hugging and that bond because we're family. And we rejoice because we know, hey, I may not understand you right now, but one day we will. But what we have in common is our Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation we have and that eternal bond we will always have. Oh, what joy. We get to see that here. He's rejoicing. The gospel has changed things. He's the perfect man to go there. He's a Hellenistic Jew, but he's there because, again, who did he help usher into the church at Jerusalem? He was the one who introduced Saul. 
when he got converted up by Damascus, he was there for about three years and he came down. But remember, what was Saul's reputation? He was brutal. He was, he was says that he was just gnashing his teeth, raging against the church. He was the leader of the persecution of the church, seeing to the death of some, taking men and women out of homes, it says. It says he was just constantly just enraged against the church. And now he comes back and the church is like, uh, what? And then Barnabas comes into play. And we saw that in chapter 9. He's the one who ushered him into the church to provide invitation and then fellowship. So Barnabas is a key player. Now he's sent up to Antioch. And he's doing the same for this new church. Welcome to the family of God. Isn't that amazing? But it doesn't stop there. It says, and he exhorted them. That word actually is the word for encourage, because encourage is parakaleo, parakalesis. It says, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful, right, to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He's doing what Barnabas does. What's his, what does his name mean? The son of what? Encouragement. That's what he's doing. He's going to this church. He's coming alongside them. That's what the picture is a picture of. It comes along to help them get established and to remain strong and to grow in the faith. Stay faithful. Imagine the context where this church is developing. Antioch, it's a city of temptation. Money, riches, other religions, sexual immorality, depravity. And he's there, hey, stay faithful. What God has done here is real. Stay faithful, stay strong. Is that a message we need to hear? We're in a city like that, in this area, Southern California, a lot of temptation, but we've got to stay faithful. We've got to hear from Barnabas today, right? Remain faithful, be steadfast. And why did he do that? This, God uses his godly character. Again, another man, faithfully serving. He was never called out to be an apostle. He's not an apostle. He was sent by the apostles because he was faithful. He was a good man, it says, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He's God's man to be used at this time, right? We think about the apostles, we remember them and what they're doing. Matter of fact, we, we don't see much of the apostles after this. Besides, we'll see Peter in just a little bit, but have you, there's people who talk about where the apostles went during this time. We hear stories like uh, Thomas ending up out in India. I mean, then there's stories of where they went to, and I've read a couple books on them. Some of them, you know, they're not, they're not sure exactly where, and they have to, you know, draw strands here and there. And it's just interesting. They were on the go. They were out about evangelizing. But here at the church, there are new leaders being, who are stepping up and filling the void. Who was the leader, one of the leaders, who was not an apostle that we know about? James, the half-brother of Jesus. But we see that there's a development of leadership coming up. And we see that Barnabas was one of those godly leaders who God was using now to not just help strengthen the church in Jerusalem, but outside. And he does something more, right? He does something more. So God is, is he's a great number of people are being added. It's growing. He's using faithful people, but Barnabas doesn't stop there. He remembers, ah, I know a guy who would be perfect for this job. I know a guy who'd be perfect for this place and what's going on here. And we need to get him ready because he's a little rough around the edges. So what does he do? He goes to, he go, goes to Tarsus, and who's there? Saul, Paul, 
It's time. And by the way, this is about seven to 10 years, depending on who time, whose timeline you follow, after he's been converted and sent away from Jerusalem. So what has he been doing for this whole time? Well, he's been ministering, it says. You know, he says he's been ministering there in that area of Tarsus. And, and, and there's, for instance, there's a lot of things that are, that are in the book of Acts about the things he suffered, right? We hear about him shipwrecked, he gets stoned once. We'll see more of that as we go. But there's a lot of things that aren't listed in Acts that are listed in, in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 11, where he says there were marks of persecution on him. Many say that it was during this time that he was getting a lot of those marks. You know, he's got all these beatings and imprisonments and all that. Some of them aren't, aren't listed for. Matter of fact, it says that in Philippians 3.8 that he suffered the loss of everything. Some scholars say he was disinherited by his family. So just one, he was, he was suffering for the Lord. Wasn't, he wasn't just sitting around Tarsus. Well, I think I'll work on a master's degree now. And I'll just wait for that call of God. No, he was busy. Right, But again, remember, the book of Acts is not a year-by-year detailed timeline. We're jumping sometimes three years or more as God is you know, growing the church. The first few chapters, I mean, it's talk, we're talking about just months, but then, it's, then we're going to larger gaps of time, just so you know as we're developing uh, what's happening here. But Mr. Encourager, <laughs> that's what I call him Bar- Barnabas, he provides evidence again by going to go get Saul from Tarsus. And that wasn't that far away, but still he had to travel and he had to go find him. It says, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So he brought him to the church that it was, it was, it was primarily, well, it was probably not primarily Gentile, but it was heavily Gentile. So we've got a mixture in this church. And for a whole year, a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. So Paul brought in and welcomed to the Christian community of Jerusalem, the headquarters back home by Barnabas, right? Three years after his conversion. And now about 10 years later, he's brought to Antioch, the new headquarters for the Gentile mission. So for a year, they, we see Barnabas, you know, helping Paul, Saul, get involved in the life of the church and and teaching and and growing into leadership. Again, Barnabas doing exactly what his name says. Again, so we we think of, you know, we see all these letters from Paul and man, God used him mightily. But don't forget the role of a Barnabas. Don't forget that role. There, you know, (laughs) some of us will never have a stage like a Paul or a Billy Graham, but many of us will have a chance to encourage someone younger to be that. God may be using you. There might be somebody in your life that just needs that encouragement, that, that little push, that, hey, can you preach for me on a Sunday night? And just waiting for them to, to step up and, and take, take that chance. That's what God does. He gives us opportunity to help somebody else along. And that's what part of this is doing here. He sees, he knows that God has a calling on his life, on Saul's life, to reach the Gentile world. So he grabs him, brings him in, and together they minister. They're preaching, they're teaching, they're discipling, they're evangelizing to strengthen the church in a very pagan city. Again, to be a strong church despite strong temptations. And that's why I love what we do at this church. We teach, we teach, we teach. We don't just provide some, you know, nice little social activities. 
Those aren't bad, but we have classes because we need to learn so we can grow in what we know and obey what we know so we can be strong because we are in a tempting situation. Guys, we have to be honest about that. Southern California has all sorts of temptations. And we just have to know, we have to do, we have to get strong and be a church that is steadfast and strong and we have to help each other do that. And here it was in this city that they were first called Christians. Christ followers, little Christ, people who, who identify with Christ. And whether that's a term of, of mocking or it was how Christians even self-identified, but the deal was there is that this is the really where, where it starts, where Christianity starts diverging from Judaism. Because at first it was really seen as a sect of Judaism, but here it's now, uh, they're, they're identifying with Christ, now they're bringing Gentiles, and it's definitely going to start getting some more persecution by the Jews. Right? It's more and more distasteful, and it's going to get worse. So we just see this, this idea of Paul getting, or Saul getting brought in by Barnabas. He becomes the main character here in a little bit. And, but we see that a God using a Barnabas to mentor this young apostle, to, to strengthen this young church, God providing the leadership to care, to see the gospel get just established, and then the church grow. So God provides the leadership, but he, all, us, he asks all of us to be a Barnabas. Be an encourager. How hard is that to do? See somebody doing something, go up to them and say, thank you for doing it. Thank you for doing that. If you see somebody who's not involved that much in ministry, there's people at our church who could use a, hey, I think you should try this. We've got some new people coming to our church who are just checking it out. They want to get involved. Well, let's Hey, encourage them. Hey, we just had great advertisement today for all the things happening. People are coming back to the church. Our numbers, boy, they've just jumped in the last month. We have a lot of people here. That means more ministries needed. We need more servants. Guys, be encouragers. You know, be encouragers. Think about Paul. If he would have walked in our door right after his three years of being, or, you know, his time of leading the persecution, he would not have been a, a, hey, that guy looks like he's really a good guy. We would remember him as somebody who was a really bad guy. But what did Barnabas see him as? He was a Christian who was a brother who had potential. And, you know, again, he verified his, you know, there was, he, he came with a report from the church up in the Damascus area, but still he, he helped him in because he saw potential. He really, do you think it was easy for Barnabas to do that? Because there was hesitation all across the world. Matter of fact, he, Paul was there for a very short time, and then they sent him off to Tarsus. So he was a controversial figure, so Barnabas took some risks. We have to be Barnabas with people to identify uh, the, the potential in people. Uh, you know, and just give them a chance. Help them out. Be their biggest cheerleader. You know, it's really easy to criticize others, isn't it? As a matter of fact, it comes natural to us to notice weakness. Folks, we got to get better at being encouragers to when we see the good and be just big cheerleaders for each other, to help each other get pumped up. And I love it that we've had Shane preaching, we've had Chaz preaching, we've had uh, Joel preaching. These young guys bringing the word. Oh, man, that's exciting. Do you think they're a little bit nervous? That's why I told you, you got to be praying for them, and you got to give them all sorts of great feedback and just saying, way to go, way to bring the word. Because that's what we're supposed to do. 
We're not here to critique, we're here to learn and listen. Now again, if they bring heresy, we go after them. <laughs> right, Shane? I'm just kidding. But no, we, we want to be a place where people know that, we, that we're family and we're cheering for each other because we want to see the gospel strengthened and established here. And when people come in and they see that kind of love and care, that's attractive. They'll say, what is the deal with these people? How come they love each other like that? Ah, oh, you'll know them by their, you will know they're my followers by their love for each other. Yeah. Anyways, okay, I, I love Barnabas. I love the part he's played in, in this book, in, well, in this book, in the history of the church. And it's so encouragement, encouraging to me to want to be a Barnabas, to be an encourager, to be someone who just gets excited for others and then they get excited and they, they take risks because they have believers, brothers and sisters, giving them that little push to do more, to do more on Sunday nights. So, this is, this is, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead here. But this is, this is where we're at. And uh, so, okay, so we, we see that, that there's just Barnabas. He pulls in Paul. There's great growth in the church. They're first called Christians here. But then something changes. And this is really just a, an ex, just a cool part of what we see happening here in the church. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Okay, so some prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. So they arrive at Antioch, and here's, here's what happens. And one of them named Agabus, he'll come up later in Acts chapter 21, he stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world, and this took place in the days of Claudius. So this is, Claudius was emperor from 41 to 54 A.D., and there's famines, many famines, but they say the one about 45 AD is the one that is being talked about here. So around the same time that everything's going on in Antioch with, with Paul coming in or Saul coming in with Barnabas and they're, they're growing the church there and he's getting established is that this happens here. It's a situation where we get to see the gospel have another effect. First, the gospel can't be stopped. It brings life wherever it goes. Then we see the gospel. There's gospel care in the church to strengthen and establish. And then here we see there's gospel unity in this way. There's a need back home in Mother Church, Jerusalem. And this church can't wait to help. There's a unity. There's a unity of purpose. There's a unity in the sense that we're family. And by the way, prophets, like what? What's the deal with prophets? Well, remember at this time, how many New Testament books were written? Well, the epistles or any of the gospels? Some say maybe Matthew in the mid-40s, maybe the gospel. Book of James, maybe, right? James dies pretty much pretty soon after this. There's hardly anything. So what is happening in the early stages of the church? Well, there were apostles and there were, according to Ephesians 4.11, prophets, New revelation from God, always under the oversight of the apostles. But here we got word about, hey, something's coming. And it's an opportunity that for the church to practically help. And by the way, we'll see that this, this is actually, we see more transition. I talked about this, where it's a transition away from the apostles' leadership. Again, at the church back in Jerusalem, per se. And it's, we start seeing elders being We'll see it at the end of the passage. There's elders there, and the leadership is changing, but that's what we see in Ephesians 4.11. It says, and he gave the apostles first, 
the prophets, and then what are the evangelists? What are evangelists? Basically church planners. And then what? Shepherds or pastors, teachers, pastor dash teachers. All for what? That's just the changing of the leadership structure in the church as we move away from that, that first generation under the apostles. But again, coming up, and there's a coming, a time of severe need. And what does the church do? The church reacts. Listen to this. So the disciples determined, they weren't forced, these new followers of, of Christ, right? Every one of them according to his ability. Oh, wait a second. That sounds like what? Sounds like the church after Pentecost. What were they doing? Taking care of each other. As each had ability, they took care. They provided, they gave of money or land. It's happening here. So what, why is that important? Because the gospel or the spirit had the same effect in the Gentile church that it had in the Jerusalem church. It's more evidence of the veracity of the gospel in their lives. And they wanted to help. We want to help. Why? Because that's family. Matter of fact, they, they want to help because of how they've been blessed by what's happened from out of Jerusalem. They determined it was an active decision. They wanted to, to, to help, and they wanted to send relief, practical help. You know, if you know somebody's hurting, they're hurting financially, financially, and you hear about it, and you say, hey, we'll be praying for you. Is that bad? No. But could you do more? Well, yeah. I mean, maybe you don't have money to help, but what could you do? Hey, let's contact the church. Maybe they, there's a way we can help, or some people can help you. Right? It means getting a little messy, messy might, you know, as far as it might be awkward in the conversations. But folks, when we're family, we want to help. We want to help each other. We, want to, we should be caring for each other. When somebody's hurting emotionally, we've got to have compassion. We want to help. Don't just say, oh, I'll let somebody else do that. No, we've got to care enough to help. The church has is, is been so changed by the gospel, they, they will give financially to help. Boy, the pocketbook, that's a hard thing to open up, isn't it? Right? We need our money. It's our security. It's our security for the future. But, man, we open that up. That says something about what's going on in our hearts. And this church was showing, oh, my goodness, they're, they're, the gospel had impacted them. They were changed by the Spirit, and they wanted to help the family in practical ways. They wanted to send relief to the brothers. That's family language. To the brothers living in Judea. Again, Gentile Jews... Our Gentiles were calling Jews brothers. Jews were calling Gentiles brothers. Boy, that's Ephesians 2 big time. I'm just going to read you Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Written by Paul later, but let me just read you this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, okay, you're Gentiles, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, the Jews called you uncircumcised, you're Gentiles, you're not from the line of Abraham, uh, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, right? Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So, that's you before. But now, I love that word, B-U-T, but. But now, 
In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Oh, man. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Isn't that amazing? That's what, what Jesus has done and that's what's available to us. It goes on, verse 17, and he came. And preached peace to you who were far off, Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, to the Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also, Gentiles, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Wow. <laughs> wow. Gentiles being brought in. Jews and Gentiles, family now, in Christ Jesus. No longer at war, no hostility, reconciled to God, reconciled to each other. That's what the gospel does. And that's what we see evidence of the Antioch church for the Jerusalem church. So not only did they determine each according to their ability, but it says, and they did so. <laughs> they didn't just have good ideas and, and nice sentiments. Oh yeah, we should do something about that. Boy, I'm really praying for them. Boy, and you leave it to somebody else to do it. No, they did, they, it says, and they did so. They gathered the support, sending it to the elders, again, to the elders in Jerusalem, by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Again, the church here, they exemplified Paul's later words to the Corinthians. Uh, in, when he's gathering, he's exhorting them, he's going to gather future relief. This is a future problem the Jerusalem church is going to have. But 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. They gave willingly and they gave readily. They took care of the problem. They gave back in in. in financial form blessings to a church that they had received blessings from the gospel. They'd received blessings of the gospel. They wanted to give back. And that's, again, in Galatians 6, 6, Paul says this, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. There were going to be a blessing back. Thank you for what we received in the gospel. We want to help back. We're family. And we want to help you because you need, have need now. So we can, we can help out. So sending it to the elders, the, Jer the Jerusalem church is changing. They entrusted at the hands of faithful, the faithful Paul and Barnabas. And we just see the, the gospel moving forward. We see the gospel that it can't be stopped. And what it does is it brings new life and it forms a whole new community. And here we are 2,000 years later in our own New Testament community, right? 
We're the recipients. And I think that's one of the things we had to take out of this that, again, Acts is a history of the early church. We need to be more historical. We are in a long line of faithful people over the years who have been just faithful. In their period of life, however long is given, they've been faithful to love the Lord. They hear the gospel. God opens their eyes. They respond in asking for forgiveness of their sins and believe in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they start growing and they want to help others. And then they, they give the gospel to somebody else. We're just another link in the chain. So that's one of those things that we really need to understand. And then, of course, I've talked about this, is but that there's a church all around us. Again, we have churches in this area. We may not be uh, you know, on the same page with them on every theological point, but you know what? There's a lot of Christians around here, and we need to be showing them as amazing love too. We are united in the body of Christ. There's a lot more than we think. There's not as, not as many as some people say. <laughs> But folks, we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in this area and around the world. That's why I love missions trips, because you just, you get to experience that joy. But some people wait for missions trips to enjoy that. (laughs) We need to enjoy it here. So we need to be very, very cognizant of the church. Are you praying for the other churches in this area? We need to be. We need to be praying for pastors. Of course, for Pastor Lance. Pray for me too. But be praying, but also be praying for other pastors in this area. I mean, there's, we, there should not be one good church in an area this size. Of what, 120,000 in, in this general area? <laughs> Better be more than one church. Let's be praying. Let's be praying for Christians here, that they would have a gospel witness and understand we are family. We are family. We'll spend eternity together. But also, too, don't... Be discouraged when we look around and we think things are against us. I mean, if you, like I said, I'll say this again and again. If you watch the news, you're going to be very discouraged because that's man's view of reality, and it's not reality. We've got, to be under, we've got to understand who we are. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We carry the best, we carry the message of salvation of all time, and it can't be stopped. Doesn't matter what's legislated. It doesn't matter what's set up against Christians. It does not matter, right? Again, we're supposed to vote and all that. And I'm not saying don't be involved, but here's the deal. Don't be discouraged. The gospel can't be stopped. Be bold. Be gracious. Listen, be loving, but don't back down, right? The gospel will move forward. May it, do, may it be that way more so-and-so here, right? More so-and-so, more, more and more here at Bethany. I mean, again, that's why I'm in this evangelism class, to go over the gospel, to remind each other of what the gospel truths are. Boy, I, I hope it just ignites a fire. Read Acts and, 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 and think about what you would have done. And, and then when you see miracles, you're, you just imagine what's going on. They are calling Gentiles family. Gentiles are calling Jews family. People who hated each other. The gospel can't be stopped, right? So think about in your own life. Who is it that you might have, I don't like the word prejudice, but what do you have, are there any obstacles that you have up against certain people because of personality differences, political differences, whatever? Get over them. (laughs) Jesus was the friend of, Sinners, 
We don't, we don't become like a sinner, but we need to be more and more rubbing shoulders with sinners, right? Because yet for the grace of God, there go I. I'm no better than anyone else except for God's grace in my life and his mercy. So we've got to be, think about how, how can I be better used by God? How can Bethany be more and more of a light in this area, Thousand Oaks, Newbury Park, Westlake, and, and even down to the Simi and all over. We want to be more of what Jesus wants, to, wants us to be. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray, and uh, then we'll go into a time of uh, our church prayer. So, but we'll turn off the Facebook for that or whatever, the live stream. Let me pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we are the recipients of the blessings of the new covenant, this, this new age because of what Jesus Christ initiated. Gentiles being brought in. We're no longer uh, outside and, and afar off. We've been brought near by your blood, Lord Jesus. So we praise you for what you've done and the great mercy and grace you've shown us. Oh, we rejoice in that. We thank you, Lord, that we, we see this history of the unstoppable nature of your gospel. And we have hope because we see we're, we're, we're proof 2,000 years later on the other side of the world that, that your gospel can't be stopped. The message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we want to, one, thank you for it. But then, two, pray that we would grow in our love for you, that we would reig be reignited in our first love that we would want to overflow with joy and, and, and uh, a desire for others to hear and to know. We know only you can save and only you can open hearts, but God, you've chosen to use your people to be your mouthpieces, your megaphones to this world. You've, you called us to, we are your salt and light in this community. So God, help us to shine brighter. Help us to be salty. Help us to be rubbing shoulders with non-Christians uh, not with any kind of arrogance, but with, with that, that just confidence, that humble confidence in who you are, in, in your power, in, the, in your saving message, Lord. I pray that that would just change our hearts, that would grow in us a love for people. And Lord, I pray that that would just be infectious, that it would be contagious here in this church even more. And that, Lord, that, that you would draw non-believers to yourself and that you would be, help us be alert to conversations and opportunities to, to love them more and to show and share, to show Jesus and share the message uh, of Jesus Christ with them, Lord. We want that so bad. We want new believers here who need to be discipled. And, Lord, that we would scramble and do our best to disciple them. That would be amazing. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the, the blessing it is to be called your people. We love you, Lord. And we pray all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.